Well, good morning, good morning. It's a great day to be alive. Let me give a shout out to our incredible volunteer team here at the Cross Loganville, our praise band, Saturday night, 6 p.m. service last night, to this morning. Phenomenal job. Give it up for our praise team, led by Nick Slade. And just our volunteers from parking lot, to greeters, to ushers, everybody that takes part, all of our kid workers. Uh, incredible team, and I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of a community that actually participates and people throw some skin in the game. Is that not cool? So praise the Lord for that. This is my favorite weekend of the year. Anybody else in the same boat? I mean, I'm talking about my favorite weekend of the year. Now, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I celebrate resurrection every day. But to be able to pause and to contemplate the narrative of uh, what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago when he conquered and defeated death, hell, and the grave, that is the hope that I anchor my entire faith system in. Amen? I was reading that over a billion people globally will pause this weekend to celebrate Easter. So you're one of a billion somewhere, and that's about an eighth of the world's population. A recent survey said that 84% of people that never attend church say they believe in the resurrection. 84%. And I was like, yeah. It's a historical fact. It's reality, right? So some 2,000 years later, we pause this glorious Resurrection Sunday, and we're still declaring the message of Jesus Christ. And I started thinking, how has the message of Jesus spread so greatly over the years? And I'll tell you how it spread. It spread because it's good news. It's great news. It's amazing news. It is the only news that brings about liberation and life and freedom. Amen? It's an incredible narrative that we celebrate today. Now, the word good news is synonymous with the word gospel. Many of us have read the Bible, and we pick up the Bible, and we've pondered Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and it's considered to be the four gospels. But really, it's the four good news accounts of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as we pause on Easter, here's what you got to know. As we pause on Easter, we're celebrating the greatest good news event that has ever happened in human history. If there be no resurrection, we have no message to share. If there be no resurrection, we don't have any purpose for being here this day or any other day. But what separates Christianity from all other world religions is that our master and our king and our Lord rose from the dead. So we give glory to God this glorious day for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the resurrection declares that a holy God offers sinful man hope. People walk in here this morning and week after week, and what I know about humanity is this. Every person under my voice deep down inside is searching for hope. So many people live hopeless, confused. And they're living defeated lives. And deep down inside, we want to believe that there is hope available. And I got good news for you today. There is hope available in Jesus' name. Now, when you think of God, what is the first thought that pops into your mind? Pause there for a second. What is your view of God? Who is he? What is he like? And what has shaped and framed your perspective of God? I agree with A.W. Tozer, who said your concept of God is the most crucial and most important thought you'll ever have in this journey. 
Because your view of God and concept of God drives everything that you do in life. Now, as we pause today, we must see God accurately for who he is, but we also must see ourselves honestly for who we are. If you go back and study the Genesis account and start in Genesis chapter 1, the scripture says, in the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form. And so we believe here at the Cross Loganville that God created all things. We believe that God created a greater light that rules the day, a lesser light that rules the night. And we believe that God created the moon and the sun and the stars and vegetation and plants and trees and animals. But we believe that on the end of the sixth day, God created man in his own image. So every person I look at right now has been created by God in the image of God. God is triune, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're triune. You're body, soul, and spirit. So God created you. You're not here by accident. You're here by design. I've got good news for you today. God is for you. The Bible says that after God created man, Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, that God looks at man and says, I want to extend freedom to you. And the Bible says that while God placed man in this garden, he said, you're free to eat off of every tree in the garden, but stay away from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat off that tree, you will surely die. But God is a loving God and a kind God and a merciful God. And God extended freedom and free will to each and every one of us back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. Now, at Genesis 3, the serpent comes around and the serpent was crafty and he entices the man and the woman, Adam and Eve. And he entices them, and he basically is trying to tell them that they can find life and identity and worth apart from God. You don't have to do what God says. And they willfully disobeyed God. And something that day inside of man died. It was a spiritual death. When man chose to try to get his needs met apart from Christ and refused to obey God, something inside of him died. And each and every one of us, when we're born into this world, we inherited what is called the Adamic nature. It is the very nature of Adam. That's what you and I were born into this world with. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were born dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Physically, we were alive. Solistically, we were alive, but we were born spiritually dead. Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says that their eyes were open. I'm going to introduce you to a southern term here today. The scripture says their eyes were open. And if you're not from the south, you need to learn this word. This is a very crucial word if you live in the south. The word N-A-K-E-D is pronounced naked. That's the way we say it in the south. Their eyes were open and they realized they were naked. Naked initially meant to be without covering. But it came to mean to feel odd alienated, separated, exposed. And so each and every one of us are born into the world feeling exposed, which we conclude something's wrong with me and something's not right. Now, if you go back and study, this led man to his first attempt at managing sin on his own terms. The Bible says that they grabbed some fig leaves, they sewed them together, and they made covering. Man concluded that because I'm jacked up and messed up and something's twisted inside of me, I can come up with my own solutions and strategies to deal with my problems. And there's a lot of people in this room that still run to your own strategies. 
and your own solutions and your own agendas. But reality is it's not working. The Bible says that as a result of what Adam and Eve did, God comes and says, uh, hey, hey, where are you? And the scripture says they hid. They ran. Why did they run and why did they hide? Because running and hiding declares that whatever you're doing to deal with your issues is not working. You need help. We all run. We all hide. We all pose. We all cover. And man has been running for 6,000 years. Years ago, we were in spring training. My son Jesse was about four years old. We were in spring training this year. We were doing Bible studies, and it was just an incredible time to get away for a month and infiltrate the baseball community. But little Jesse was four years old, and we had a girl by the name of Ashley that was staying with us that spring. And she was helping out, and, and we had taken her to Walgreens, and Ashley had bought her a little tin, a little canister of Altoid, tangerine Altoids. And I'll never forget the next morning she woke up and she brought her little tin of Altoids in and she goes, uh, I, I've only had like two. There's hardly any in my canister. Did anybody take my Altoids? And I was like, I don't know. Uh, Rachel, come here. Rachel, did you go into Ashley's room and take her Altoids? And she said, no. And I said, Benji, come here. Did you go into that room and take that girl's tangerine Altoids? And Benji said, no. And I said, Jesse. Je Jesse, where are you, Jesse? And Jesse was hiding underneath a coffee table. And when I finally found Jesse, tears had welled up in his eyes because he had so many of these tart tangerine Altoids in his mouth. And I said, Jesse, did you take her Altoids? And he finally, after puckering those little lips, looked at me and said, who, me? <laughs> but that illustration is so perfect as we think about what we do. We run. We hide. We cover. We try to avoid. We suppress. We must see God accurately, but we've got to see ourselves honestly. And man has been running for 6,000 years. But deep down inside, here's our conclusion, and I want you to get this. Deep down inside, we conclude that our failures are so great that there is no way anyone could ever identify with my failure. So we stay on the run. And so many people, they sedate, they medicate, they run to alcohol, they run to drugs, they run to sexual fulfillment and porn. And so many people have continued to run and try to get their needs met apart from God. Good news. Some 2,000 years ago, God clothed himself in flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of God that was full of grace and truth in the person of Jesus Christ. God sends his only begotten son, Jesus, into this world to identify with our failure to identify with our pain and our suffering and our mistake. And so as we pause, what we're celebrating is the good news that God would be willing to come down to planet Earth and identify with us and offer us hope. And so today I want to just share with you some simple principles that the good news of the gospel declares to each and every one of us. 
The first one would be this. The gospel declares, the good news declares that Jesus Christ is God. He is not just some uh, foreign deity. He's God. He's not less than God. He is God in flesh. That is absolutely essential of our theology. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. Jesus makes a bold statement. I am the life giver. I am the one who created life. I am the one that will conquer death, hell, and the grave and give life again. He makes this statement to Mary and Martha who are perplexed over the the death of their brother Lazarus. And he's looking saying, I am life. That is a bold statement right there. And Jesus makes all kinds of bold statements like, I'm God. I'm the Savior. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He makes all these radical statements, but I will tell you this. The resurrection validates who Jesus Christ is. Jesus makes the statement, John 14, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. You've got to get to know me. I am the bridge that connects lost humanity back to a holy God. And Jesus didn't say, I'm a good way, or I'm one of many ways, or I'm just into pluralism. No, he's a monotheistic God. He declares, I am the way. And I've had people over the years tell me, Tim, I believe all roads lead to heaven. I'm like, no. But I've had people tell me that. You just got to be sincere in what you believe. It doesn't matter. Just be sincere. All roads lead to the same place. I'm like, that's not true. Truth is exclusive. Truth does not include every possibility. It would be like you saying, Tim, you can just dial any phone number and get your wife. No, I can only dial one phone number and get my wife. Eight, six, seven, five, three, oh, nine. (laughs) Jenny, Jenny, who can I turn to? But reality is there's only one number. And Jesus, when he makes the exclusive statements that he makes, he is the only way. He is God. He is deity. He is the Savior. So we have to understand the simplicity of the gospel by first understanding that Jesus Christ is God. A second truth that the gospel declares is this. God loves all people. God loves you. Whether you like it or not, God loves you. And one of the most simple verses is John 3.16. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would never perish, but he would have eternal life. God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but he sent his Son into the world so that all could be saved through him. No, 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 stop. Stop. I was pondering this week. Again, just the the importance of personalizing every text that you read. And I just sat there and I started pondering what is known as the universal verse. And I started reading it by saying, God so loved Tim that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus, that if Tim will truly believe in Jesus, Tim will not perish, but Tim will have eternal life. God did not send Jesus into the world to judge Tim. But he sent Jesus so that Tim might be saved. Personalize the passage. It's one thing when you look at 8 billion and go, and yet God loves the world. But some of you go, God, he doesn't love me. God's mad. God's frustrated. 
God's irritated. Tim, I've jacked it up so many times. I've messed up relationships. I've abused my body. I mean, I understand that God loves some people, but he can never love me. And if that's your mindset, you've got a wrong view of God. God loves you. God is for you. God cares about you. And I don't care how twisted your past is. I can tell you this, that God does not love you based on your behavior. God loves you based on his character, and God's character never changes. So some of us, we struggle because we feel like the love of God is all conditional based on how I behave. While I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Not when I was reading the scripture or praying or sharing the hope of the gospel with anyone else. While I was a sinner, God loved me. And I want you to know that today. God loves you. And, and one of the things I would encourage you to do is write down this little simple equation. God's love is greater than your blank. Fill in the blank. Your failure, your mistakes, your sin, your good deeds, your righteousness, you cheating, you giving, you hating, you loving, fill in the blank. God's love is greater than. If I were to ever get a tattoo, like my wife and son and all these other freaks in this church, <laughs> I would probably get this tattooed on me. God's love is greater than your blank. Yes. God loves you today. God is for you today. And God cares about you. I know you've got scars. We all do. But scars, they're, they're not there as a statement of your failure. They're there to remind you that healing is possible in Jesus' name. Here's another thing the gospel declares. The gospel declares that we can be forgiven. You can live a life of freedom. You can be forgiven. You can receive forgiveness. Colossians 3.14 says, he has forgiven all of our sins. He's canceled out every record of the debt we owed. He has forgiven all. He's canceled out every record of the debt that we owed. And Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. So when we pause and celebrate Resurrection Weekend, we look at the cross and we go, look at what Christ did. All of my sin and all of the sin of the world has been nailed to the cross once and for all. I'm like, it's amazing when you receive forgiveness, how it can change your perspective. When I realized that God really did forgive me, that my past was no longer going to be held against me, I started walking with a new bounce in my step. I was like, man, this is so freeing to know that God forgives me. It created in me a desire not to want to sin anymore. I didn't want to sin anymore because I was forgiven. And there's people that have walked into this church over the last months and over the last few years. People that have been incarcerated, criminals, felons. They've walked in here and some struggle believing that God for could forgive them. But when they crossed the line and said, I do believe he loves me unconditionally, and they receive forgiveness, it has changed their entire narrative. We've got people leading our recovery class on Thursday night. These dudes are former NA, SA, 
AA, my one buddy that leads it saying anything you could put an A behind, I pretty much needed to attend it. <laughs> Alcohol, sex, drugs that received the forgiveness of Christ. It is very arrogant inside of the human heart to believe that your sin is greater than his love. It is very arrogant to think that God can forgive all this, but not, not, not mine. That's very self-centered. The only sin the scripture says that he will not forgive is when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that's when you reject Jesus as the only sacrificial offer for your sin. And I just want you to know that you can be forgiven. We've had self-righteous people, people that were good morally, that were lost spiritually, that have received the forgiveness of Christ in this church, that have been set free. We've got people that have gone through divorce, that have created divorce and difficulty, but they received the forgiveness and the grace and the love of Christ, and their narratives are totally changed today. So the question is, have you received the forgiveness of Christ personally in your own life? Have you received it? If our greatest need in this world had been information, God would have sent an educator. But if our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. And if our greatest need had been money, God would have sent a banker. And if our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, and God sent a Savior. God sent a Savior to save us from our sin, to deliver us from us, to free us. So the gospel is powerful when you start to study it, and it declares that forgiveness is available. But here's another one. The gospel declares that death has been defeated. The d death has been defeated once and for all by Christ Jesus, and we don't have to live in fear of the unknown any longer. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 15, he would say Christ died for our sin according to Scripture. He was buried and he was raised on the third day. That is the hope of the gospel for me. Jesus was crucified. All of our sin was placed on him. He was buried. But praise God, he was raised on the third day. Paul would later write in 1 Corinthians 15, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? We thank God who gives us victory over sin and death through Jesus Christ. One of the greatest fears inside of men is the fear of dying and not having assurance of where you're going to spend eternity. I ask people all the time, people that are apathetic toward the things of God, all the time. I'm like, how do you answer the four basic questions that all humanity struggle with? And I'll ask them, how do you answer the question of origin? Where did it all start? How do you answer the question of meaning, man's purpose for being on the planet? How do you answer the question of morality? What's good? What's bad? What's right and wrong? And a lot of times people are satisfied with their three answers in those areas. But when I ask them, how do you answer the question of destiny? It scares people. It frightens people. Because if your confidence is only in the world system, and if your confidence is only in yourself, you have no hope even in this life and beyond this life. You have no hope. And a lot of people walk in here, and you're afraid of dying. You're afraid of death, and death scares you. Why? I like what Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers who proclaimed uh, the gospel throughout England in the mid-1800s said. 
He said there is a huge difference between the death of the godly and the death of the ungodly. Death to the ungodly comes as a penalty of infliction. But death to the righteous is an invitation to the Father's palace. To the sinner, it's an execution. But to the saint, it's an undressing from his sins and sickness. Death to the wicked is the king of all fears. But death to the saint is the end of all fear. It is the graduation unto glory. That's the reason a few weeks back when I sat there and watched the memorial celebration of Dr. Billy Graham. There was no fear in Dr. Graham's life, not because chronologically he was old, but because he was spiritually right. His family stood there and declared, we know where daddy is because he had placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not because he had preached to billions of people around the world. What qualified Billy Graham to have assurance of his salvation was he had repented and placed his faith and hope in Jesus Christ. That's the only hope we have. And so if you've never repented and placed your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, get that right today. The gospel declares that we can have a future in heaven. The gospel declares that you can have assurance. First Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so that we could obtain an inheritance which is reserved for us in heaven. Some people have told me over the years, well, Tim, I uh, come out of some Reformed theology, and I I believe that uh, God is uh, already predestined who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. I've had people tell me that. I believe God, uh, when he created us, some were objects of damnation and wrath, but others were for his pleasure. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Because Jesus said, it's not my will that any man would perish, but that all would come to repentance. I'm not slow about my love and kindness, as some would count slow. I'm pursuing all. You're saying he's chosen some for heaven and some for hell, even before they were born? It negates Genesis 2.16, that man was given free will. If you looked at me and said, Tim, you've got five kids. Three of them get to go to heaven, 60%. Two of them need to go to hell. Tim, Tim, tell me, who are are you and Barb going to select as your three, but what two are you going to send to hell? I would say no. I would rather I myself were accursed and separated, beaten and bruised and murdered. I want to see every one of my kids spend eternity with a father. And can I tell you, that is the heart of the Easter narrative, that God would clothe himself, Jesus would willfully lay aside deitic privileges, that he would come to planet earth, and he would walk for 33 years, and he would willfully take on Golgotha, the place of the skull, that he would be murdered. He would be absolutely shredded because he wants all Jews, Gentiles, Samaritans. He wants all people groups, all nationalities to come to know the hope of the gospel. Romans chapter 10 says that if you will confess with your mouth and 
really believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And I think one of the greatest things on an Easter celebration, but every day, I never want to get tired. I never want this message to become old to me. I want to preach this until I die. But I think one of the greatest gifts that you'll ever receive is for you to confess. Man, I, I need to confess Christ as Lord. The word confess, homologia in the Greek, means to say whatever God says about his son. And God says his son is Savior, Master, Lord, Authority. He's the one in control. I'm telling you right now, if you were willing to confess Jesus Christ is Lord, it means you're not Lord. You're not master. You're not in charge. You don't call the shots. Your agendas and strategies have got to be crucified. If you would be willing to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe, 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 the word is pistis in the Greek. It means to be persuaded to action. It doesn't mean to cognitively acknowledge. Demons believe, cognitively acknowledge. We're talking about believe. We're talking about knowing. We're talking about being persuaded to action. We're talking about going all in. The gospel calls us to all out surrender. It calls us to die to ourselves. It calls us, it calls us to press in. If I will confess and believe I can be saved, I can be rescued, I can be delivered, I can be set free. And so I would highly encourage you today, make sure you're anchored right in your relationship with Christ.